Welcome to The Rational Egoist. I'm your host, Michael Leibowitz. You know, there's probably not a more important topic on earth than that of ethics. I mean, after all, it drives what we do on a daily basis, how we behave ourselves, the relationships we get into, the type of jobs we do, and what we're willing to do on those jobs. So we're going to explore that a little today, and we're going to do it by evaluating Howard Rourke's behavior. He is an Ayn Rand hero, uh, the protagonist of the book, The Fountainhead. If you're familiar with the book, if you read it, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. And if you're not, we're going to do our best to bring you up to speed. And here to help me with that today is the author of The Passion of Ayn Rand's Critics, Creating Christ, and he is an administrator of the oldest Ayn Rand Facebook group. And he's a great friend of mine, Mr. James Valiant. Welcome back. Hey, Michael. How you doing? Great to be here. I'm doing wonderful. So you, of course, were a district attorney, and that's not what I mentioned in, in, in the uh, introduction, but you were. But today you're going to take Still on a different charged. role. You are going to defend Howard Rourke, and I am going to take the role kind of a, as a prosecutor. But I am going to ask you, because you're more familiar than I am, to lay out the facts of the case. What what was Howard Rourke's relationship with Peter Keating? And let me just state that Peter Keating is one of the villains of the story. He's not the main villain of the story, but he's certainly not an ethical person. Not, you know, a mean guy. He's not out doing robberies. He's just not uh not an independent thinker he's not a go-getter he's a second-hander well in one sense he is the conventional uh, idea and what ryan Rand wants to present him of uh, being ambitious but he's yes. ambitious in a you know in a social sense it's not that he wants and, and this is said in the in the novel much better than i could howard work at one point says this in his conversation with Gail Winand, he says the thing about Peter Keating is that he didn't want to be a great architect. He wanted to be thought of as a great architect. Yes. He didn't want to build great buildings. He wanted to be known for building great buildings. And that's what Ayn Rand called, she had a technical term for that, social metaphysics. And it is the surrender of your values and your mind to uh, the values and minds of others. Uh, letting others at one point Peter Keating goes around a party asking uh, taking a poll of what the guests think of a building that Howard Rourke the hero architect is built and Dominique the, the main female character asks him are you doing it Peter to find out what they think or what you think <laughs> and then Peter's the kind of guy who takes a poll to figure out what he thinks yes. which is the very opposite of what Ayn Rand thought of as the selfish man the egoist, it begins with the independence of your judgment, the confidence and independence of your own mind. And Howard Rourke, there's a beautiful moment, just a, there's a spoiler alert here for people with the Fountainhead. There's a beautiful moment in the Fountainhead where Howard Rourke designs an important housing project for Peter Keating, and he takes no money, no credit. He's In fact, it's going to be a secret the way he helps Peter Keating here. And this is connected to what, this is the climax of the phenomenon in the book that you're talking about. And Peter, you know, sort of asks Howard why he's doing it. I mean, he, he Peter will be getting all the credit and the material awards. Howard puts it right back at him. You're right. You will have all the gratitude for the people who live there from the people. Who live there. You'll have all the fame. You'll have all the money. You'll have everything the world can give a man. And I will have, I will get what no man can give another but himself. I will have built Cortland. Wow. Now, I remember as a teenager, those words just poof, reached into my chest and grabbed me. And I knew that this was a book of profound, of moral and psychological profundity, such as I had never read before. Um, and that's really the question here. Howard Rourke is an architect. So is Peter Keating. Um, they have known each other since they were teenagers, at least that long since architecture school. Howard Rourke, in fact, rooms uh, in the boarding house that Peter Keating's mother runs near the architecture school that they both attend when they're young men. Uh, Peter Keating is the top graduate who gets these prize scholarships and job offers, and Howard Rourke at the same time gets kicked out for being independent and not doing his historical studies like the professors want him to do, his, the historical studies of architecture, because he's going to improve upon the world of architecture. And Howard Rourke as a young man even has that kind of confidence. Uh, despite being kicked out of architecture school, uh, 
Peter uh, Keating, of course, goes on to a successful art. He immediately goes to work for the top architect in New York City. Um, in fact, he'll marry the daughter of the, 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 the chief partner of that architecture firm uh, for a while and have a big success, at least initially in the book. And uh, Howard Rourke, on the other hand, has a much longer and tougher struggle having to take small clients one at a time, designing his unique, unconventional buildings uh, for that unique audience that is slowly growing that can appreciate him. Meanwhile, Peter Keating's career is being built at this big law firm, uh, architecture firm, is what I am, a, a big architecture firm in New York City. But he will, uh, from time to time, through the course of the novel, even before we reach the climax, he will just, you know, come up to Howard and ask Howard about the project that he's working on. I wonder, Howard, if you have a solution here, if you can help me with this, or if you can help me with the design problem I have here. He knows Howard Rourke is a creative genius. He knows Howard Rourke will come up with a brilliant solution, probably a brilliant solution like no one else had ever come up with before. And Peter Keating does in part succeed for many years because he is cheating just like he did in architecture. We're even told that it goes back to architecture school that he was cheating off of Howard in effect getting ideas from Howard even in architecture school and Howard Rourke this is the key was letting him get away with it. Howard Rourke knew that Peter was taking his ideas and even sometimes corrupting them and letting well, him do that. Can I, can I, I want to interrupt you for one second. Yeah. He wasn't just in, in school in elsewhere. He wasn't just letting him get away with cheating. Yeah. He was helping him. He would come to Howard and ask him questions. He says at school, what does he say specifically? He said he was very nice to him, helping him whenever he was stuck on a problem. And later on, he tells Howard, you designed my best work. So Howard did that for him. He didn't just catch him looking at his paper. That's he actually true. did it for him. It, Howard knew he was helping Peter do his homework assignment and doing the examination assignment. He knew, in effect, one might say that he was helping Peter cheat in architecture school. And that, I mean, it's obviously not a crime. It's a violation. Yeah. The school is a private organization. It violates their rules if the school had caught him. The school could have kicked him out for that rather than his independence, it seems to me. But we don't have a crime here. But the question that you raise, though, is a good one. Uh, is it a moral issue? I mean, after all, Howard Rourke is, in effect, allowing Peter to defraud the architecture school and later on, in effect, allowing him to defraud both his employer and his clients in letting them think that he was the sole architect or the sole designer when Howard Rourke solved the important problem, at least. Um, absolutely. So is there something that Howard Rourke is hiding through most of the course of the novel, <laughs> helping Peter Keating? Uh, and is that, in, in effect, keeping this second-hander, this non-independent, in effect, uh, intellectual parasite, uh, continue and survive? Isn't it a lesson, you might say, in why the sanction of the victim is so dangerous and bad? Isn't he doing what Peter Schwartz the other day told us that we shouldn't do well, on your broadcast, right? Yeah. Um, he helped him specifically with the first house that Peter was assigned to build. Right. He then helped him win a competition. And he Howard, not only you know, did he allow Peter to mm -hmm. not say Howard helped him. He insisted, insisted Peter not tell anybody. Right. So, okay. In a so court case. The thing is, so the thing that connects all this from Cortland all the way back to the architecture school, Howard Rourke, and this is my defense, as best a defense as I can do it, because. Well, you don't know the charges I, yet. No, well, okay. <laughs> Morally speaking, I see an issue of sanction. And a sanction that harmed Peter, by the way. Howard Rourke did no favors to Peter Keating. That's right. I and But that's the point I would think I would make. Howard Rourke used Peter Keating to see ideas of his get realized in a way they would never have been realized. Howard Rourke repeatedly says in the course of the novel, for example, about Cortland, I'll never get past that Ellsworth, not just Ellsworth Chewy, but their committees. You know, I'll never get past a committee, <laughs> right? So he even knows that the only Keating could get the contract. Only Keating can help him realize 
as he's working for Guy Franken, that the buildings that he's building for him, only he can help Keating win the competition and get the new idea in there. Only, and then even going back to uh, architecture school, even if it's just an idea, he, he knows that the only way the professor is going to pay attention to this new idea X is if it's in Peter Keating's neo-Renaissance or Rococo project. That's the only way. So in a sense, Howard Rourke is explicitly using Peter Keating to realize ideas that he himself could not have realized without Peter Keating. Uh, Peter Keating is an essential agent to getting this housing project, Cortland, built. It's true. Rourke solved the problem. But for the corrupt ideas of the culture at the time, Rourke could have solved the problem and done it all on his own. But given the corrupt culture of the time, as the author is describing it, a, a culture dominated by Ellsworth Joyce, uh, he has to use Peter Keating to get the project realized at all. And so P uh, Howard Rourke is explicitly getting the project done. That's which just with Cortland, though. That's just with Cortland. Well, Not I would say that this is a general, but I would say that this is a general thing. If see, Howard Rourke loves to solve problems in, the, in themselves. And even if it's just solving a problem and telling Peter, well, you know, this is the solution to the problem, Peter. And he sees it realized even in a corrupt building. It's being realized. He's solving the problem. Howard Rourke, whether he gets the credit or not, as is stressed, uh, loves to solve problems, sure. the problem itself. And in fact, even for his own, and Cortland is just an example of this, even if it's only in his own mind, I'm getting this realized. Uh, and I know that I was the one responsible for it. I built Cortland, okay. or I helped with this, or I got that idea through, or I helped Peter slip that in. That's as, that is what, Pete, that what Rourke is doing. Rourke is using Keating to realize, and you know, in law, why it's really not illegal. You can get to your charges in one second, but before you do, I'd just like to say- oh, This is law, moral court. It's not legal. Yeah, this is, moral, this is more moral court anyway. And I think you have a point, and I'll, I hope we get to that too, a strong one, uh, about how he didn't wrong the world or himself as so much as he wronged Peter Keating and that I really feel because they're the, you know, in the world of law, a, a contractor doesn't have to disclose all their subcontractors. You know, if they go to woodworking for the special uh, carpenter to do the, let's say, the wainscoting or the floorboarding, uh, they don't have to disclose that. That's just their go to guy, uh, one of their subcontractors. Uh, and uh, what I'm guaranteeing to the customer is the finished total product. And I can subcontract elements of that. In effect, legally speaking, Rourke is a secret subcontractor for Peter, for Peter Keating in most of these cases, legally speaking. And that, of course, is not legally objectionable unless the client demands to know. And you say, I'm not going to sign the contract unless you tell me everyone who's involved. You're done. But that's a rare thing, in fact. So unless that's part of the agreement, there's no reason for the contractor to, to tell who all has helped in the design. An architecture firm may have several designers and draftspeople, who, the names of whom do not, do not get credit in the final design. Um, uh, it, in fact, it's famous that architecture firms will have a big architect's name on it and a bunch of uh, lesser architects, in fact, help that thing come to be. And they don't get any credit until they become you know, partners or at least associates of the architecture firm. Um, it's common in professions. That's the way it works for lawyers, too, by the way. <laughs> I've had some of my best ideas argued by senior lawyers. But that's the way it works, is you're an apprentice in any profession. Um, so in effect, uh, uh, Rourke is acting like a secret subcontractor or a secret associate for Keating. In a legal sense, I don't see any problem with it. In a moral sense, I'm at, I would ask myself, is he getting something done that could not have otherwise been done? Yes. And... Is he getting value from that, a spiritual value from that? Yes, it's getting done. It's improving the architecture of the world is working through Peter Keating this way. Um, and he's getting the satisfaction, which is his main goal, as it is with Cortland. But we have to ask ourselves another moral question. What is he doing to Peter Keating? Isn't he helping Peter Keating? Isn't he enabling? And this is where I would say I think you have a moral point. We would today say he's an enabler of Peter Keating's self-destructive habit. Um, and in that sense, Rourke was pitiless to, even though he has pity. And in fact, there's that beautiful sort of painful moment when he experiences pity and he says, there's something wrong with the world that regards this feeling even as a virtue. That is how alien 
pity is to Howard Rourke, who really doesn't much consider other people. Um, in that sense, I am a bit alienated, I have to admit, from Howard Rourke as a character. I think Ayn Rand herself was more social than Howard Rourke, if that makes any sense. She, sa she says, I'm Dominique. Dominique is me in a bad mood. Yeah. She compares herself more to her female characters, and you can really see it in her female characters how they are reflections of her. Her male characters are much more reflections, as she said in multiple letters, of her husband, Frank O'Connor. My heroes will always be reflections of my husband, she wrote to her sister. Um, and so uh, we have to, though, ask the question, is Howard Rourke's coldness and refusal to see Peter Keating's interest here even considerate? a kind of enabling of Peter Keating's self-destruction. Um, if he'd thought about it, I would say that Rourke would have seen what he did was wrong. Um, I honestly do. I honestly, if, he, if, if, if I had been, if, and of course it would ruin the novel because it ruins, you know, you can say that you could, Ayn Rand and Peter, Leonard Peikoff always say this. Of course, if you could have explained objectivism to Dominique in the beginning, <laughs> no, but then of course you wouldn't have a novel. <laughs> You'd have ruined the whole thing. She was smart enough to get objectivism and you would ruin the whole thing if you just explained objectivism to her in the beginning. So anyway, uh, that's true of literature in general. Okay, it's a stylized storytelling. And we, I think in this case, we also have to recognize the stylized storytelling to some extent. But in reality, would I have noticed that and walked up to Howard Rourke and said, you know, you are really, a, the problem with what you're doing is you're destroying Peter Keating. You're helping Peter Keating destroy himself by allowing him to lie to other people about what's his and not. Um, well, I, I'm going to argue that it's more than that. Okay. Okay. So first I want to stipulate some things for the record because there's at least three Randian virtues that I'm convinced that Howard Rourke violates. And so I want to stipulate some things for the record, what these virtues are. The three virtues I have in mind are justice, honesty, and independence. Justice has to do with giving people what they deserve and not giving them what they don't deserve. Independence means thinking for oneself and creating values. Honesty means not trafficking in unreality, not making up a separate reality. So you mentioned context. Would you say that our current cultural context that you and I live in is a pretty screwed up cultural context? Oh, very much so. Very much so. But I, I said before I was born around 1960 that our culture was bankrupt. Right. And that's yet, old and it's worse, worse but, today than when she said it. <laughs> but yet you and I absolutely think that ethics should guide our lives, that we should absolutely. live by principle. I okay. mean, how do you define values apart from the entire subject? Absolutely. And Leonard Peikoff specifically states in uh, Objectivism, the Philosophy of Ayn Rand, that you can't separate ends from means, meaning that you can't obtain a legitimate value by illegitimate means. Indeed, it's not even a value if you're using right. fraudulent right. means. Destroyed so, the value, its nature as a value. So therefore, whatever Howard Rourke gets out of it, if the means he's employ employing are unethical, then the end is not a value. And I would say that their culture in the book was not worse than ours. So if he is not, if we are not absolved by our culture, he's not absolved by his. So you mentioned, let me just, I'm going to, I'm going to go through the first, the first um, sort of charge, the dependence independence thing. And I'm going to state a principle that I believe in. If you help somebody else, if you facilitate their unethical behavior, you are guilty of their unethical behavior. It's aiding and abetting, right? So Peter Keating is a dependent. He's clearly dependent on Howard Rourke. And Howard Rourke facilitates that. He does nothing to dissuade him. He doesn't tell him you shouldn't do this. He just looks at it. Hey, this is what I want. I want And therefore, this is the means to get it. So he does it. And in the meantime, Peter Keating becomes more and more dependent as things go on. Well, so how would well, you answer that? Well, I think part of the context is set in the very first scene with the Dean and the image of the Parthenon. 
all architects are copying the past we're given to understand. And that is the general practice. And if you've read some of the characters that Ayn Rand based Ellsworth Dewey on, their actual work, say the works of Lewis Mumford or, you know, certain architecture and art critics from that the earlier part of the 20th century, you really get this collective, you know, art is the product of the collective consciousness of history, shit, that, excuse me, stuff that you hear in uh, Ellsworth Dewey, for example. Um, so, yeah. And architecture does copy a lot. And what they ask for is a Renaissance villa or a Rococo hotel or a semi-Grecian office building, if I can quote Gail Winand. Um, and so uh, it is inherently, um, in, in other words, it's rare to find the brilliant creative architect, the, the uh, in reality, the Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, who really is the, you know, a creative uh, genius in the field. We're told that that is unique in any field. In fact, that's part of the theme of the Fountainhead. Rourke is unique. Rourke's are unique in any field. And a Rourke in architecture is no different than Rourke's anywhere else. And they're all copying. They're all copying the Parthenon. They're all copying, you know, um, um, uh, uh, you know that great Renaissance architect that influenced uh, Jefferson so much. They're all copying architects of the past and forms of the past, and they're copies of copies of copies. And when the Dean himself tells you that, we are being in effect told that that is just the state of affairs. Rourke himself is simply existing in a world where people are copying. And if they're gonna copy, he's saying, well, you may as well copy me with my new idea. No, 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 right. no, 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 no. I'm not, no. I'm not. He didn't copy him. He did not copy I'm, him. I'm. Rourke isn't copying. No, Peter Keating didn't simply copy Howard Rourke's work. Copy. I agree. Rourke did the work for him. For him. So he's not looking at at Rourke's work, evaluating it and repackaging it and implementing it. Rourke is doing well, the work for him. Well, sometimes we're told, well, no, but part of the work in, well, for example, see, that's why Cortland is such an excellent example. And earlier examples make this clear too. It only happens because it's Peter Keating. Like I say, it's Rourke who's doing the design. But if only you can be the salesman, sir, we could have an agreement between ourselves that, that makes it our project where the world knows it only it's Michael Leibowitz, but Jim Valiant has designed some of it behind the scenes. And that would be no lie. That, and that would, certainly wouldn't be even Ill illegal. If only you could get it realized for me, then you're doing something. You're actually contributing to the partnership, uh, uh, even though I'm doing the designing, say. So that in itself doesn't, I agree with there's the deep, there's more going on. So I'm, I'm not done and you make a point, but I just want to get the first thing stated. The mere fact that you're the one selling it and making it realized and I'm the one designing it doesn't make you necessarily a liar or a parasite. That could be our agreement. You're the salesman. You're the if, one who's the face who gets it done. If, if that were all it were, I would agree. But Peter Keating okay. is not expressing it as a salesman. He's expressing as it if it's his work. That's the first thing. Secondly, Peter well, Keating may never have been in that position. And this is why principle's vital. If Peter, and this is what I'm going to get to uh, uh, when we get to justice, Peter Keating may never, or honesty rather, Peter Keating may never have had the reputation I may never have gotten the type of connections where he would have been in that position had Rourke not facilitated his fraud. Well, it's hard to say it's fraud. Howard Rourke is not lying. Howard Rourke is allowing Peter Keating to lie and letting him get away with it. Oh, if, he's helping him get away with it. Not just letting him. He's helping him. Well, he's doing it and then letting and knowing that Peter and let's say it as strongly as we can. He knows Peter Keating's gonna lie about it to get it done. He it, demands it. it. He doesn't he tells him, well, do not tell anybody some, that I've done this. It, 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 but exactly. Now, in some cases, Peter Keating is uh, modifying it in the Peter Keating way. So it's not a pure Howard Rourke um uh that we're getting, but Howard is doing the essential work. And insofar as he's lying and i think there are contexts in the, and this i have to concede there are contexts in the fountainhead where it's clear that he it, peter keating is lying about who did you know this is mine and he will say so point blank to his employer now that i think is a immoral lie and a fraud and rourke i have to concede is uh, com uh, uh complicit 
if you will, knowingly complicit in Peter Keating's lying on multiple occasions, at least to his own employer. And I find that morally objectionable. Uh, and uh, uh, all I can say, I think you are right. I do not think that Howard Rourke in his treatment of Peter Keating and uh, is uh, being just. I, I think that's the key of the three that you named there, the one that really strikes yeah, all, all virtue is one. You can't be, uh, you can't involve vice without somehow involving all of them because you, you, virtue is a unity. But the one that strikes as the most relevant here is justice. He is giving a benefit that is totally undeserved to Peter Keating, and he knows it. Uh, now, how do you morally justify that? You're not treating humanity justly, are you? No. Uh, I have to concede. And my only response is, really, on this moral issue, I do think he was unjust. Unjust to Peter's employer and unjust to Peter in that sense, because he allowed Peter to get away with a lie uh, okay. to his employer on multiple occasions. Now, uh, I think that, as I say, with the qualifications that it's legal in the Cortland case, it may be dubious in some of those cases where he's working for Guy Franken, and it may absolutely be cheating when it's getting, when they're back in school, yeah. <laughs> which, which could have gotten the both kicked out as far as I'm concerned. At least even from a private school, it could have gotten them kicked out, right? Yes. So the point, though, being that uh, how do you justify dishonesty and injustice, which I think we've both acknowledged is present here? Yeah. Ayn Rand has not fully developed objectivism is the answer. I agree. So I think Ayn Rand has not systematized the ethics of objectivism in such a way that you and I just formulated it yet. Right. This is I 1943. This, this is 14 is years before Atlas. And, she had, and even before she'd even begun outlining the idea beforehand. And sure. she needed a plot device that would stress the second-handed nature of yeah. Keating's work and the dependency of everyone on these creative geniuses which was part of it. See, they're the fountainhead. So in order to emphasize the positive aspect of the, you know, Howard Rourke's speech at the end and the role of the creator, right? The To emphasize that, she's showing the relationship between Rourke and Keating as sort of the uh, uh, bottled historical reality of how geniuses are used uh, by others in a parasitical fashion. And she boils it down to the relationship of Keating to Rourke in a literary way. Now, Rourke is not a hero in Atlas Shrugged in many ways. Um, first of all, uh, I'm not sure. I think he's a principled man. And I think if you had pointed it out to Howard Rourke, let me put it this way. I think if you'd pointed it out to Howard Rourke, just as you pointed that out to Ayn Rand at the time, aren't, isn't this unjust? Aren't you giving re a reward to Keating that he hasn't earned? Isn't that permitting his dishonesty in some cases, his overt dishonesty in many cases? Again, yes, you'd have to say that. And would that convince Ayn Rand in 1943? Would that have convinced, theoretically, <laughs> Howard Rourke in 1943? I think the answer is yes, because in a matter of in a matter of a few short years, Ayn Rand is going to resolve that issue clearly and consistently in her own mind. Um, now, Ayn Rand was a scrupulously honest person herself, but did she do things like Howard Rourke? Was she a secret? Did she give ideas to screenwriters in Hollywood? Did she sort of clean up copy with Isabel Patterson at the New York Herald Tribune all the time, all the time? And so, although she was a scrupulously honest person, can you see elements of Ayn Rand in old movies? Yes, but you're really getting ahead of me. Okay. <laughs> because I'm going to bring these points up. Okay. But first, now that you've pled guilty, you pled your guy out, right? But I really I, basically did, with an excuse. I, with an but, excuse. Yes, but I still want to develop the things because yeah. in, in, my, in my view, and I believe, you know, I've got this from Rand. I'm not, it's, I shouldn't even say my view in my interpretation of justice, which I think is accurate. The purpose of justice, there's multiple layers to it. One is by being just, I keep immoral people out of my life and I bring moral people into my life by granting the earned and not granting the unearned. Two, I incentivize, incentivize good behavior by rewarding it. And three, I disincentivize bad behavior by punishing it. And in the case of Keating, Rourke keeps him around. 
he gives them the unearned. So he's rewarding bad behavior and he's not punishing bad behavior. And don't both of them suffer? Yes, I would say so. Howard Rourke himself suffers from his unjust treatment. Which is the very eating. Yes. That's it. So in effect, Ayn Rand is showing whether she explicitly intended or knew it or not, she was showing she couldn't help herself. She showed us Howard Rourke suffering from a mistake, maybe an error of knowledge, uh, error of ethical knowledge, but error, no, it's still an error. (laughs) Or uh, immoral or no, it's still an error and he's gonna suffer the consequences. Uh, Ayn Rand, in fact, has shown us how Rourke has to blow up that building, suffer, go on trial. He might have gone to prison for the next 20 years like you did for blowing up a building if the jury had gone the other way, right? Yes. So, (laughs) in my mind, uh, Howard Rourke is uh, not explicitly learning that lesson, but Ayn Rand unwittingly is showing us that uh, whether it was an honest mistake, an innocent mistake on Rourke's part or not, Howard Rourke suffers the consequences of that error. Sure does. And I'm glad that you, you pointed that out. Now, honesty. People think of honesty, not pe- I shouldn't say people, a lot of people think of honesty in terms of it's basically an altruistic virtue that you right. tell people the truth because they deserve the truth or you, uh, you know, you tell the truth regardless of consequences. But honesty is a way of keeping yourself consonant with reality. Right. You're honest. You acknowledge reality. Reality on my side. Yes. You want Always on reality side. with me. Yes. Okay. Don't put yourself at war with <laughs> Very reality. selfish reason. Also, yes. the integrity of my own consciousness. Right. I'm not going to damage the integrity of my own consciousness by faking it. I mean, come on. But so, it, it's, it's suicidal. It's for my own selfish benefit that I'm right. on it. So there's the risk, one, of being found out, as Leonard Peikoff shows. Like, these lies have a tendency. Not a, It's not, you know, they, there's no God making it happen. But there's right. a tendency for the truth to come out. But in this case, by by being dishonest, by helping Peter develop a reputation of someone could who, do, do, who could do jobs, he ends up defrauding people who, now granted, the culture screwed up, but that doesn't mean everybody is. So there are people, if this was a real life situation, who could be hiring Peter based on a reputation that's unearned. And the case may be that Howard's not helping him, and then those people don't get what they're paying for. And Howard is helping them. I don't see it as defrauding. You know, it could be that even though those, see, this is why I bring up the law of secret subcontracting and why it's perfectly legal. Well, defrauding might not be the right word because it's a legal term. Yeah, yeah, so I'm not going to use defrauding. I'm just going to use the term dishonesty in in, uh, developing a a fake reputation, an an unearned reputation. Peter Keating has built a couple of buildings that have been dramatically improved by ideas he got from Howard Rourke, and I'm a new potential client of Peter Keating's, and I go to him based on those previous buildings that Howard Rourke helped him with. Howard Rourke might help him with this one too. Whatever it is. Well, they might or might not, but the point is he had Howard Rourke's help on those. And so that is the quality of the Peter Keating building. And so when I go to Peter Keating, it may be that that Howard Rourke may help. I I don't don't know all that goes in. I don't buy it because the person is not aware that, that that it's that contingent. The person that's hiring him is not aware of such a contingency. He, he or she knows Keating's reputation. That's it. Well, I mean, does he have to be? Obviously not, because half means that it it can't go the other way. And obviously it can. What I'm saying is that when you traffic in reputation, which we all do, right? If my reputation isn't honestly earned and I present it to you as if it is, then you are acting on good faith based on my reputation. And I'm putting one over on you, whether it's fraud or whatever you want to call it. It's an element of dishonesty. If Rourke had been working within Franken's office, like Keating was, no one would have even questioned this interaction. When you work at a law firm, an architecture firm, a design firm, it is assumed that the that they're going to be discussing it among themselves, and that there may be other contributors mm. to it. When uh, when I go to uh, Franken and Keating, which is where the firm ends up by the time Keating becomes a partner, I'm getting the product that I'm used to from them. Now, they may have subcontractors that make it that way, 
And in other words, if I'm interested to that level that you're talking about, the client should say something, you know, what I really liked was the creative and modern aspect of this and the creative modern and as aspect of that. And I need that to be in the next project, Mr. Keating. Yep. And Peter Keating being the liar he is, will say, yes, I'll give it to you. And by and, the way, well, then he here, really will have, if he can't guarantee Rourke's help, then he is actually defrauding in a civil sense. Sure. Uh, but, but Jim, here's my problem is you're talking about an isolated thing. When you say the work, if he had worked with him at Francone and I forget the other guy, Stedmeyer or whatever, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. The guy before, uh, yeah. Frank, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the, the exact name, but here's the problem is he's been helping him develop this reputation since high school. Right. It's not a matter of just yeah. being in a thing. Does right. Peter Keating ever even get the job with Francone if Howard hasn't helped him to do it? And that contest had nothing to do with a group effort. The contest is to show Peter Keating what he can do. I don't think that it was honest. I don't think that it was doing just to either Rourke himself as you point out, the point of justice is to not harm ourselves. I think Rourke is harming himself in doing this for Peter Keating. Cortland doesn't work out. He It might have been a giant disaster for him. I mean, can you imagine it? Just a little different. Cortland, the whole Cortland story, again, spoiler alerts, folks, going just a little different. Dominique dies. Rourke goes to prison for 20 years, you know, 30 years for blowing up a big building. Okay, well, which, if it were reality, is probably what would have happened. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's a good chance that all that would have happened <laughs> in the reality I know. Yeah. So uh, uh, it is all I can tell you is that it is literature. It is a stylized version of reality in which the jury is going to see that the, the Howard Rourke's are the creators of, and that Howard Rourke was defrauded himself and that he was justified in blowing up the building. And so you could ask these questions on many levels. Uh, uh, is that realistic? But what you're asking here is a simple question. Is Rourke an exemplar of the mature objectivist ethics? in this regard, especially with respect to justice and honesty and his uh, support of Peter Keating. I have to agree with you, he's not. He is not an exemplar of Ayn Rand's mature understanding of sanctioning uh, the bad or the just treatment of people, which we selfishly deserve ourselves. But I, by Ayn, as I say, by Ayn Rand's own logic, even Rourke must suffer from his error here whether Ayn Rand and Howard Rourke yet know the full reason or not. Right. Now here's for the big twist. Okay. I'm the prosecutor. Here's my ultimate conclusion. And this is of so much importance to me personally. Howard Rourke is a hero. I don't care that he did those unethical things. I would judge them for being unethical. And if he were my friend, I would tell him so. But right. his overall character is exemplary. Oh, no doubt about right? it. He's, he's a, a hero. He's, he's a, a mega hero. hero. He was his wrong about a lot of things. His right? own courage and independence in some respects are superhuman in a way. Not right. that you couldn't do it. It's just, wow, right? Right, yes. We all should be aiming for moral perfection. But when we fail, does not make us no, no. Heroes uh, make eternally, mistakes. Eternally Heroes make mistakes. People, right? Right. So even though he was wrong, he's still a good person. Human now, beings are not infallible. We're not. Yes. We make errors of knowledge. More than right. that, we can even make minor ethical uh, lapses and still not be bad people. Yes. Right. Yes, Michael, now, a really great point most people are sort of mixed but you know there are people who are mostly bad and there are people who are mostly yeah, good so, and, and howard was mostly good but he really mixed, really but really but he was, good but he was mixed now here, in some ways right now, now here's the here's the thing justice as we talked about is you we, we practice justice out of self-interest i don't care about those things he did wrong it's in my interest to deal with howard rourke I agree. 
It's I would in I, my interest. His friend, I would be. I would hire him as my architect. Right. I would absolutely. Howard Rourke would be in my interest to exactly. deal with the person on now. multiple levels, and uh, more than that, I would, like you say, try to point out to him, you're not being just either to Keating or yourself in doing these projects for Keating. And you'd want to stress the justice and honesty things that you're stressing so that he would understand that he's working against both his long-term interest, nor is he doing Keating any favors, as I put it. Um, and if he got it, he would get it and see, I think he would have, and Ayn Rand would have gotten it. Um, but no, he does suffer. He suffers the consequences sure. of that. Era. Absolutely. Now let me make it personal. And I'm not I'm not saying I'm on the level of Howard Rourke. Please, just let me, because, I, oh, you think you're Howard No, 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 I don't. First of all, I was completely unethical. I wasn't mixed like, like he was. But at this point in my life, I also am not dishonest. I wouldn't commit injustices uh, uh, of that nature. And my only point is that I've put in the effort. I suffered the consequences like Rourke did. The consequences worked. I learned my lesson. And as a result, I altered my behavior, which is ultimately what justice is for, to disincentivize bad behavior and incentivize good behavior. I was also removed from society for 25 years to protect society. And now this is the key to this. I've done a lot of hard work to make myself who I am today and who I am today. And I use myself as an example for others like me. It's not just me. Who I am today is somebody that is in, it is in Jim Valiant's best interest to deal with me and thank rationality that Jim Valiant recognizes it. And that to me is the overall point is that people don't have to fit the Ayn Rand ideal of absolute perfection in order for them to be worth dealing with, in order for them to be worth forgiving, in order for them to be worth befriending. And with that, I'm just going to turn it over to Jim and let him go. Amen. Hallelujah. You said it so beautifully. No, we have to judge people based on the context of evidence we have in front of us. If, I, if I'm going to leave the value of Michael Leibowitz untapped, I am dumb. I'm not going to be so dumb as to leave a good, smart man like you unutilized, unappreciated. It's not in my interest. I want to en just enjoy the spectacle of your virtue and your intellect, sir is a pleasure for me, a selfish pleasure for me. Thank you. It'd be foolish for me not to be your friend, not to reach out, not to acknowledge to the world what I hope I'm acknowledging, it, not to help you get the audience you deserve. It will help me to help you get the audience you deserve. That's how justice works, my friends. What Michael is saying here is exactly correct. Don't be so dumb as to be wedded to an old religious intrinsicist idea of good and evil. And if one, once someone does something bad, that they're or e even if they look at Howard Rourke, what we've just pointed out here, Howard Rourke, perhaps innocently, but maybe in a way he could have even known at some point it should have clicked in. Look, I'm not doing myself or Peter any good. In doing this, if he'd realized the, fully the issue of sanction of the victim, if he'd understood the virtues of justice and honesty, as Ayn Rand would soon come to understand them, he wouldn't have made this mistake, nor would he and Peter have suffered. Nor would Michael Leibowitz have suffered if he'd known from the start as a teenager that you don't do those sort of things. You're, you're playing with you know, Russian roulette when you do that sort of thing. Now you do. On the other hand, when you are now a man of character, my God, am I going to be so stupid as to leave that value untapped, unused as much as I can? No, I'm a selfish SOB. Thank you very much. I'm going to do, I'm going to try and get the most out of my life that I possibly can. I'm going to reach for every value I possibly can. I'm going to get the most out of every value I possibly can. This is my general approach to life. I'm not motivated by fear. I'm motivated by love, as Galt says. And I think that's the only way to really understand and appreciate Rourke here. He was morally imperfect, as you've just pointed out, but he's still a great hero, a great man. I don't think I'm 
Now, but that's the point, isn't it? To be understood is to be, I, if you don't think you're perfect, if you know, then you're not. If you think you're perfect, then at least I think you think you're doing the best you can. And guess what? That's perfect in my mind. So I like to say things like I'm perfect and getting better all the time. <laughs> and, and so if you have some religious notion of virtue, if you don't think Howard Rourke's and John, because Ayn Rand shows Howard Rourke's and John Galt's learning, learning. They're not born. They don't spring from the head of Zeus, fully armored like Athena, with objectivism behind them all the way. No, and they make mistakes too. And they make mistakes. I mean, you look, consider the complications of a character like Hank Reardon and Alice Shrugged. There's a person innocently made a mistake about the mind-body dichotomy, but it cost him, didn't it? Again, yeah, of course. Mistake, just because it's honest doesn't mean you don't suffer for it. Exactly. Even our innocent mistakes are mistakes, and we will suffer. People will ask me on the abs in the abstract on the internet, well, what's the harm of believing in God? What benefit do I get in being an atheist? And of course, I normally go through, I don't expect anything from not believing something. <laughs> not believing there's been a mouse in this room normally doesn't have any consequences because it never exists. But on the other hand, uh, just simply avoiding error is a good thing. And the bigger, the broader the scope of the error, the, the better it is that I avoid it. The more consequences I'm avoiding by avoiding the error. Um, besides, of course, the supernatural contains all kinds of anxieties of its own, fear of hell, well, unnecessary guilt and, and shit. And I'd say you do benefit from not believing a mouse is in the room because you're not wasting money on mouse traps. Well, right, right, right. No, friends, context and reality. We're not religious zealots. We're trying to get the benefit out of life. And look at this guy here, folks. I mean, if you don't watch rational egoist and expand your mind because he's got one of the best podcasts that has ever been then you're not doing yourself a favor if you're not learning from this guy's virtue if you don't read his books and begin to say hey yeah if he can do it i can improve my life too i can have be a person of better character and i can improve my situation as a process in the process too then you're not getting the selfish value of mr michael Leibowitz. why would i do that to myself People, it's strange because when you say selfish, they mean, oh, all by yourself, selfish against anyone's, you know, well, wait, other people are one of the most selfish values I could have out there. To say that they can't be a benefit to me is like, you know, wait, wait a minute, that is unselfish. The failure to recognize the potential benefits from people. Most of what I know I've learned from other people. I could not support my lifestyle except in a complex division of labor economy. There were inventors and scientists before that have made my life wonderful and comfortable. And business people who brought those products to cheap availability for people who live in the West. I am grateful to all of them. The, all of that I, on a desert island, could I have come up with a light bulb? Objectivism? <laughs> no effing way. I am the beneficiary of the virtues of people around me. And if I live in a free society, then all of us can get the benefit of the virtues of all of us. <laughs> and uh, to pit, that's why Ayn Rand's idea that between the rational, there really can be no conflict of interest. If we're all oriented towards reality, if we're selfish and respect one another's selfishness, if the trades are voluntary, if we both perceive them as win-wins, that's the way to go. That's really selfish. I want I don't want to be a thief where people are afraid to deal with me. I want you to voluntarily want to deal with me. Come get my product because it's high quality, because it's available, because it's cheap, because it's a value. <clears throat> no, 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 no. Selfishness doesn't pit people's interests against each other. And that's the only alternative we're even given about what selfishness is. Oh, you, you against the world, you stepping over dead bodies to get whatever you want, as opposed to no. Me peacefully, rationally, voluntarily dealing with people to the extent they want to and see it in their rational self-interest. No, uh, obviously what people need is Ayn Rand and a view of a benevolent view of selfishness that respects other people's selfishness. That's how I get my selfishness respected. Jim. It has been an absolute pleasure as always. Uh, 
I love arguing with you on and off the air uh, today. The argument didn't go very far and it didn't because of your intellectual honesty. And uh, that's commendable. I, I, well, I, I tried to be nuanced to take it from all sides. <laughs> all the, you know, I think we have to. We really have to take into account as many facts as we can and try. Yeah. And one of the things that I took, one last thought, one of the things when I did read Atlas Shrugged, I didn't have this with the Fountainhead, which I think is connected to what we were saying earlier. It wasn't when I read The Fountainhead that I felt like I needed to disprove Ayn Rand. When I got to Galt's speech, there was something in my head that said, wait a minute here, make sure this lady is saying, you know, challenge yourself, try and prove her wrong in your own mind. And that's what I would advise people when they're first reading Ayn Rand to do, whether it's Galt's speech or her nonfiction, push back like you push back on me and I push back on you until you are satisfied. Yes. Gosh, sure. yes. All right, Jim, where can people find you? I am almost every day on Facebook for personal and professional reasons. I run, as you say, uh, a couple of the uh, pages at Facebook of uh, Ayn Rand, the oldest and biggest uh, Facebook page devoted to Ayn Rand or objectivism, the John Galt line, uh, the Leonard Peikoff study and appreciation page. Also, because of my work in history and the origins of Christianity, the Roman provenance of Christianity page at Facebook, we also have uh, a website based on my book, uh, www.creatingchrist.com, and you can always contact me uh, via that. But I'm very active on social media. I am very active with the podcasts that are put on by the Ayn Rand Center United Kingdom, and I'm proud to say that you're one of my colleagues now. Um, yes. I think we're doing great work over there. And so that's another place you can see you can see my work. So, And I am writing another book on religion generally. Um, so, uh, yeah, thank you for having me on so frequently, sir. Oh, You're it's honest it's and it is your, it's, it's your sincerity and authenticity that really impresses me so much, sir. You are a man, may I be proud to say, of character. Thank um, you. Thank you. Uh, and let me just add, uh, when it comes to books, so my own book, View from a Cage, My Transformation from Convict to Crusader for Liberty is now available in paperback. From Barnes and Noble, um, it'll be available elsewhere soon, and I will be providing a link for both the ebook and the print book with this episode. For now, this is the Rational Egoist. I'm Michael Leibowitz signing off. Remember, like, share, comment, and subscribe. Till next time.